Real Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. This afternoon, we will be interviewing the owners and operators of Vela de la Pace Vineyards and Winery. Stay tuned for the show. Welcome to Real Cup Radio. And this evening, we have the owner and operator of award-winning winery and vineyard called Vela de Pace. And his name is Dr. Don Clark. Dr. Don Clark, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you, Todd. Uh, yeah, the, uh, our winery, actually our, um, our business is called Vela de la Pace. Uh, that's, uh, it means Valley of the Peace. In uh, in Italian, and so um, yeah, we can talk a little bit about uh, how we how we got started with that, and uh, a little we can talk a little bit about how I came to know the Lord in the first place. Uh, if you well, like. let's start let's start with that first, and then and then we will go into the uh, winery, which I'm excited about because there's so many scriptures. You know, uh, well, first of all, Jesus' first miracle was, you know, turning water into wine. And then we also know that we're heading for, you know, uh, a wedding. And so, Mm -hmm. yeah, so if you'll start and and share your testimony, and then we'll we'll go from there. Okay, well, very good. Uh, Like I briefly mentioned, I I actually received the Lord uh, when I was 35 years old. Uh, I'm a I'm a scientist by training. I got my PhD in physical biochemistry, and uh, before I received the Lord, I had the evolutionary story pretty much down pat. Um, I could uh, talk to you about it from uh, from the Big Bang up into you know biology itself. Now, uh, after I received the Lord, uh, <laughs> 35 and. It was a non-denominational church out in California. My wife uh, had started going back to uh, to church, and um, she invited me, of course, several times. Uh, the church was praying for me. She was attending a small group. They were praying for me, and uh, I decided, well, you know, okay, uh, we had one child, and uh, or a couple of children, actually, by that time. And uh, my oldest child started saying, "Hey, Dad, why don't you go to church?" And I, uh, I really didn't have an answer for that, <laughs> for that. <laughs> other than, uh, you know, I was an agnostic at the time. I wouldn't say that I was an atheist, but I was certainly agnostic. Anyway, I got the opportunity to go uh, at the Easter service or the resurrection service uh, with this church out in California. And it was uh, it was quite different from what I had been brought up uh, as I, I was uh, I was raised a Catholic, but uh, when I left home to uh, to go to college, I pretty much uh, didn't go to church anymore at all. So uh, I, I didn't really have a strong uh, inkling for the Catholic uh, faith. And uh, but this uh, non-denominational church, Bible teaching church. Uh, was uh, kind of appealing um, 
but uh, I didn't. Uh, I actually didn't go back to church until uh, the Christmas uh, the Christmas service. Uh, of course, you know my wife would would invite me every week to uh, to go to church with her, but uh, I didn't. I didn't until the Christmas service. And at the Christmas service, uh, I felt like the pastor, like many of us who come to the Lord, felt like the pastor was uh, talking specifically to me. So when he gave the the altar call, when he gave the invitation, uh, I was uh, one of the first to raise uh, raise my hand, and I accepted uh, accepted the Lord at that uh, at the at that time at that service. Um, but I still had a lot of uh, a lot of questions and a lot of uh, a lot of doubts. I mean, one moment I'd be be saying, "Yes, yeah, Jesus is real. This is all real," and another moment I would be saying that, "No, uh, no, this can't be real. It's it's not real." So I had uh, I had pretty much a battle going on, uh, you know, in my mind for about three months, and uh, then I started listening to. Uh, um, pastors uh, teaching out in California at that time there there were a lot of pastors who were on the radio and uh, Chuck Swindoll, Chuck Smith uh, um, Chuck Missler uh, Raul a lot of different types of uh, teaching pastors, many of them from the Calvary Chapel Church and uh, they would just go line by line precept by precept uh, through the Bible and um, I was growing in my belief, uh, you know, through that time. Well, by the time uh, Easter came along, the resurrection uh, service came along. I was I was in the in the choir, and uh, I, I remember singing a solo at the Easter service. And my family and I were in part of the play production that they also put on. Uh, you know, for uh, for that Easter service. So that was uh, pretty much a year after the first time I had gone gone to this church, and then uh, from from that point on, um, I was constantly listening to Bible teachers on the radio. I was going to uh, Wednesday uh, Bible study at the church uh, Sunday morning, and then we would go Sunday evening, and I was participating in the home group. So I was being uh, uh, discipled quite uh, quite heavily uh, in the early uh, early years of my my conversion to uh, to receive uh, Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So, how did you? It, it, you know, it sounds like you were still, you know, on one side of the fence or the other. How did you come where this is not a Big Bang theory anymore? Oh, actually, uh, one of the uh, one of the commentaries that uh, I started reading, um, I started reading the Bible from uh, page one, uh, Genesis one, you know, one. Um, and as I was reading, and as I was reading a commentary on the Genesis record by uh, Henry Morris, who was a young Earth creationist, um, I'm reading the commentary this is the only way it could possibly have happened. And, I mean, literally, when I received the Lord, the scales began to fall, <laughs> the scales of unbelief, you know, began to fall off my uh, off my eyes. And uh, I, um, 
at that at that point, I turned from being a uh, an evolutionist to a young Earth creationist, and have been a young Earth creationist from uh, from that time onward. And I've uh, I've given uh, given creation talks in churches and in schools and uh, creation presentations. I was uh, fortunate to about three, four years ago, actually, to go to Russia and uh, teach uh, creation in uh, some of the churches uh, in uh, Siberia, as well as uh, two of the universities, and uh, so uh, which were very well received. I mean, here's here's folks where you think of you know Russia being uh, totally. Um, Either agnostic or atheist, and uh, yet I'm I'm teaching about uh, I'm teaching about how uh, one of the presentations that I gave was um, about the ice age and how the ice age could have only taken place if there was a a global flood event. So I'm going through with this with folks, and uh, they're just, of course, there was translation issues, but, but uh, it was uh, it was amazing that uh, they were really, really appreciative that someone was was coming with uh, information that appeared to be more truthful than the information that they were receiving in uh, in school and uh, you know i i actually found more readiness uh, to to hear the word and to hear uh, you know true science uh, over there than uh, i've had opportunities over here so it was absolutely uh, absolutely amazing uh, the transformation that <laughs> not only took place in my heart but uh, the transformation that takes place in in other folks hearts when they hear the truth. I can see that, especially with Russia, because when I was over in, in Russia as a missionary, Russia, they were very hungry. They just, you know, they really wanted to hear something. So, okay, so then, you, then you've gotten involved in an organization with uh, Rebecca Pratt? Oh, well... Um Yes, we moved. Uh, we actually moved from California in uh, oh uh, the late uh, '80s, and uh, we. Uh, I worked with a startup out technology company in the in the woodlands or near the Houston, uh, Texas uh, area. Worked with them for about uh, five years, and um, then uh, you know I just felt the Lord uh, just pulling me into missions I mean it was like hey I I have no no desire to do what I'm doing anymore I mean the Lord just completely took that away from me and uh, we had an opportunity I guess in uh, in 2000 to uh, um, begin to even contemplate the idea that hey maybe we can go into full-time missions and indeed, you know, the door the door seemed to be uh, opening, and um, we, uh, Andre and I, attended a um, um, a Campus Crusade for Life uh, uh, conference that was out in Florida, and 
at that conference, I'm, 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 you know, really being convicted that now is the time to go into full-time missions. And so we started asking, uh, asking around um, if, uh, you know, folks like, I mean, retired folks. We weren't retired at the time, but, you know, folks coming out of uh, out of industry, uh, for example. Uh, was there, you know, a place for us? And uh, we wound we wound up meeting uh, um, Don Stevens with Mercy Ships, and uh, uh, from that conversation and other subsequent conversations, uh, they uh, they wanted me, and we we said, yeah, this seems to be a good fit. So uh, in uh, oh by uh, September of 2000 we had moved up uh, we had moved up here uh, to uh, to join Mercy Ships and uh, we were um, we did a crossroads uh, a, a uh, we did the uh, the five month crossroads program where there's uh, three months of discipleship and two months uh, in the field. And that was that was the last crossroads that Mercy Ship had. Mercy Ships had uh, because we're going through some organizational changes, and one of the reasons why they uh, kind of brought me on was to help with the organization changes. So um, once we got finished with our uh, crossroads uh, in uh, 2001, uh, we were full-time staff with Mercy Ships. I was uh, one of the vice presidents in charge of the operation of the uh, of the base here in uh, Garden Valley, and uh, so we we worked with uh, Mercy Ships for about five years, and then the Lord kind of let us let us out of that, and uh, I helped start up an, another organization because of our relationship with uh, some of the folks at Mercy Ships. Uh, with Tim and Rebecca Pratt, who uh, had a desire to help orphans uh, in uh, help rescue orphans, basically in uh, Liberia and uh, subsequently in in Benin, uh, West Africa. And so I said, "Well, you know, I'll help you guys uh, start the organization. I'll do all the the business side of the of the organization and the financial, you know, accountability side." <laughs> And uh, you guys, you know, raise funds, and we'll see. We we'll see, uh, you know, where it's at in about a year. And, and if it's if it's going, then I'll start another 501c3. And uh, you know, with the, with your uh, uh, with your ministry. And they said, okay, yeah, that sounds good. So we did that, and it became clear that uh, it. it Orphan Relief and Rescue had to be its own ministry, so we uh, kind of peeled it off of the ministry, the small ministry I was working with at the time, Sharing International, and uh, I formed another 501c3 and uh, kind of launched Orphan Relief and Rescue uh, from uh, from our property here in, in Garden Valley, and uh, they continued to grow year after year after year, um, and then finally, finally they said, look, you know, we're our parents are getting old. We want to be near them. They were from the Seattle area, uh, and uh, so we want to move the organization from here in Texas to Seattle. And I said, well, you know, we'll pray about it and see if we're we're to move with you. And 
we uh, the conclusions of that was yes we're we're to help them get started in in Seattle so that's what we did in July of 2010 we uh, we moved the whole organization uh, into uh, U-Haul big U-Haul trucks <laughs> over to uh, to Seattle in the Burien the Burien area and uh, I did all the all the paperwork necessary to get the organization. Uh, uh, registered in in the state of uh, Washington, and uh, we we started the organization there. We uh, picked up and and um, got the organization going, and it began to flourish even more in uh, Seattle. And then uh, after that uh, after that point, we um, we said, well, you know, let's we still had one of our daughters living here on the property. On our property, and uh, we said, "Well, let's let's take a vacation. Let's let's go back home uh, because she and her husband and and grand and um, son were moving moving back to Australia, where her her husband was from." And so we said, "Well, before they do that, we want to spend some time with them." So we took a vacation in July of uh, 2011, and on our way. Back over here, uh, we stopped off at uh, IHOP, International House of Prayer, in Kansas City, and we went to the Fascinate uh, conference. We had uh, two of our children with us, and Andre and I thought that this would be a great thing, you know, for our kids to be involved with and to uh, to go to the conference and hear some very, you know, worshipful music and hear some good speakers. And get inspired, you know, about God. Well, we got to the conference, and my two kids were not getting into it. However, I was, uh, you know, whenever the uh, the, the uh, worship team got up to uh, to play and to worship the Lord, I'm, I was in tears. I mean, the Holy Spirit was just, uh, you know, pouring out on me. And uh, you know, come it was obviously a conference for me and for my wife, as opposed to my kids at that time. <laughs> so, so uh, we uh, that was about uh, oh, it's, I guess it's about a three day, three or four day conference. And then from there we come straight here, and uh, the the first thing uh, the first thing that that happened when we got here was uh, I'm walking around our property, and uh, I hear the Lord say, I release you. And I'm saying, what? And he says, yeah, I release you from your responsibilities with Orphan Relief and Rescue. And uh, I said, oh, that's that's interesting. And I knew this was going to be tough for, uh, for the co-founders of the ministry because they relied heavily on me for the business side of the ministry. And so uh, um, anyway, I said, okay, yeah, all right, we'll, um, we'll look into that and we'll, we'll pray about that. And uh, both my wife and I felt that yes, okay, this is uh, this is what we're what we're to do. And uh, uh, so um, the the next day, I'm walking around the property and uh, I hear vineyard. And you know, I'm asking the Lord, vineyard, you want us to start a vineyard, um, and we have 17 acres here in, in Garden Valley. 
and not that all of it is usable for a vineyard, but and I had absolutely no inclination or desire necessarily to start a vineyard. Uh, and uh, so we got confirmation that this is indeed what the Lord wanted us to do. And so by the end of that week, uh, so the first day was like Monday the, the, when I heard, I release you. The second day was Tuesday when I heard vineyard. And um, um, by Sunday of that week, uh, I had... Uh, pretty much scheduled or had a fellow out who installs vineyards and he's he wasn't but 20 miles away uh, <laughs> come out check our soil check our water and then we you know proceeded to work on contracts to actually install the vineyard so uh, by July by um, Thanksgiving of that year which was 2011 our vineyard was installed at least most of it and uh, so it was. Uh, it was like, okay, gee, you know, we're. What have we gotten ourselves into? Um, we knew nothing about uh, agriculture per se, and certainly nothing about uh, starting a vineyard, and uh, or or you know having vines or anything about uh, you know how to take care of vines or or anything. So we were starting from ground ground zero. is is not something I would necessarily recommend for people to do, but uh, it, the impression from the Lord was so strong that it was like I got to do this. I, you know. It, it, <laughs> It was, I had to do it, and I had to do it quickly, and so we, we kind of just jumped in with both feet. And uh, 2012 was our first, uh, first growing season, and one of our, we have five different varietals, but uh, one of our varietals, which was our Blanc du Bois, uh, produced enough grapes in 2013 that uh, I had a decision to make, uh, either, either I was going to sell the sell the grapes to somebody else, or we were going to process the grapes ourselves. And when I look at the looked at the cost, I said, "Gee, it's a it's a wash as far as the cost is concerned from from either having somebody else crush the grapes and and make the wine, or if I make it myself." So that kind of got us into uh, into the winemaking side of um, of the business. And that wine that I made from uh, uh, from those grapes, uh, I submitted to, to an international winemakers competition and won a gold medal uh, from it. And so um, that kind of re- reaffirmed that hey, we were we were heading in the right direction, and the Lord apparently was in it. And so uh, from uh, you know from that time in 2013, 2014. We expanded uh, our operation in 2015 and installed some thousand-gallon tanks and and uh, made a bunch of wine and then uh, started selling in 2016, but uh, really didn't start uh, promoting our our wine until this year, 2017. And uh, the first you know first six months uh, we I mean we opened up our tasting room in in 20. 17 and in, in January 2017 it 
pretty much nobody knew about us. So we weren't, I mean, some people were coming by a little at a time, but uh, it was like nobody was really, you know, you know, coming and uh, coming to our winery, you know, coming to our tasting room and, and uh, actually uh, buying wine, buying a lot of wine at least. Um, but uh, since that time, I hired a friend, friend of mine, actually, that I met at Mercy Ships, and uh, he he became our sales and marketing guy, and uh, together we kind of worked on a plan for kind of expanding the business. Uh, we started going to uh, festivals. We went to one this this weekend at Mount Vernon, uh, and uh, promoting our wine at festivals. And um, the the traffic at our at our uh, tasting room started to increase. Well, I mean, it's been increasing every month uh, since uh, pretty much the, the middle of the, of the summer uh, and uh, the middle of the year. And it looks like that's going to be the trend uh, from uh, here on out. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we're still trusting in the Lord uh, with that. But uh, that's, that's kind of how, how the business got, uh, how we got started in the winemaking business. And uh, today we have eight different types of wine. Uh, in another month, we'll have an, another uh, another type of wine, uh, and uh, uh, we're getting um, favorable responses from people. We have our our wines in in a restaurant down in Tyler, uh, a very famous uh, restaurant down in Tyler, and we've got our wines in Lindale, Texas, in some, a couple of the restaurants there, and one of the retail shops in. Um, in Lindale called uh, Southern Ground uh, Bottling Company. That's a uh, wine and beer uh, specialty store. And uh, we have our wines in a uh, wine specialty store in Athens called uh, Come and Take It. And so uh, the business seems to be, uh, you know, seems to be growing one step at a time. And uh, we're certainly appreciative to to the Lord that he's, He's giving us favor uh, with folks. Um, of course, you know, that's one thing when you're in business, you ask, especially if you know the Lord, you constantly ask for favor. And uh, I've been amazed at just the doors that he's, he's opened even in this short period of time. So that's kind of our story. Uh, that's kind of how we got started, how we got even, how we went from, uh, you know, uh, just receiving the Lord back in uh, uh, 1985 uh, to uh, a, a long journey, you know, going full-time mission uh, mission work, and then being pulled out of that to start this other business. Um, and then uh, kind of in the meantime, <laughs> actually when we were in, uh, in the Seattle area, got an opportunity to uh, start uh, doing a faith and science radio program uh, every Tuesday morning on uh, brokenroadradio.com. And so for the past five years, uh, I've been doing uh, doing that program with Jim Park, who is the station host and the station uh, uh, owner. Um, and we have a dialogue where... We'll, we'll delve into something uh, related to science, and uh, I'll I'll explain the science behind it in in terms that you know a layperson can understand, 
And then I'll bring it around, not to an evolutionary point of view, but to a young Earth creation point of view. And uh, so uh, the evidence is overwhelming that the Earth is young, our universe is young, we haven't been here that long, and uh, it is not, you know, 13 billion years old that uh, I remember Carl Sagan, uh, his program, The Cosmos, and he would say, you know, the billions and billions of years. Well, guess what? The universe isn't billions and billions of years old. It's, uh, the information and the evidence all supports that this universe, the Earth that we live on, even you know people everything it's it's a young earth and it's a young universe so uh, yeah that's uh, that's our story all right well what have, what have you learned through starting this vineyard and i mean i know there's so much that 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 uh you know compares the grapes and and not putting the the uh, new wine and old wine skin and stuff like that. Is there any proverbs basically that have come out of, you know, what you've uh, been doing with the winery? Oh, well, you know, the, uh, there are, obviously there's a lot of verses related to the vineyards uh, and, uh, you know, Jesus himself, uh, you know, said, I'm the vine, uh, you are the branches. And, uh, you know, you, you have to be pruned you have to be pruned to bear fruit. And you don't really get an appreciation of what that verse really means until you have a vine or you have a, a fruit tree or something, and you realize that, hey, if I don't prune this thing, this thing is not going to produce fruit. And not only that, with, uh, with vines, grapevines, for example, uh, it's the, um, the new shoots that come up you know, like, like this year, the new shoots that have come up, you prune those back till you've got two buds left on, uh, on the vine. And that usually takes place in, uh, in late winter, uh, right before spring. And then those two buds will produce the shoots for the next year. Well, the old wood will, may also produce uh, shoots, but the old wood, wood will not produce fruit. The fruit only comes from one-year-old wood. So the growth, the the parallel with our Christian walk, for example, is that the growth that you've made this year in your Christian walk, Jesus is going to come and he's going to prune that back. In, so that you can produce even more fruit the next year. And that's the same way, uh, you know, with our, with our vines. Um, and then, of course, you know, in the winery, for example, uh, how do you get the juice? I mean, how are you actually going to, going to uh, you know, produce wine from these grapes, the cluster of grapes that you have? And so... We have we have a machine that's uh, that's called a destemmer crusher, and it it literally takes the the berries, the grape berries, off the uh, off the stems, and uh, it it crushes the grapes. You need to crush the grapes in order to get the juice out. Um, and with the reds, it's a slightly different process. You take what's called the must, which is the crushed grapes and the juice, 
you throw that in a vat, you get the fermentation going, and uh, with the reds, the the, uh, the fermentation is done on the skins and with the seeds because the skins have the color of the wine and uh, the uh, this as well as the tannins. So you get the color and the tannins out of the skin and out of the seeds, which produces a different product than, for example, a white. A white, you you take the uh, you take the must, you take the crushed grapes. And then you press the uh, the grapes, and you get you just get the juice out of uh, out of that, and uh, so that's why it's in in quote a white wine or a golden, uh, a light straw colored wine or a uh, you know red wine depending on on the process. But the first step in the process is to crush the grapes, and so you know it's like us. I mean we we can't get our fruit. Out, we can't get the juice out unless we are crushed. <laughs> you know, sometime in the process, you got to be you got to be crushed in order to produce, you know, the fruit in order to be be able to, uh, um, you know, kind of work, if you will, in the kingdom of God. So we need the trials and the tribulations of life in order to help us uh, mature in the Lord uh, and also help us to be more fruitful for the kingdom of God. So instead of people whining and complaining that they, uh, you know, are going through a hard time, they should just be saying, I'm being pruned. Exactly. (laughs) And actually, you know, uh, we should, as, as Paul said, we should count it all joy. You know, for the trial and the tribulations that we're going under, because we know at the end of the road, we will have not only a closer relationship with the Lord, but maybe, you know, if you have a ministry or if you're, you're feeling like you're in a desert place, for example, that through that trial, there will be much more fruit produced at the end of it than had you not gone through it. So it's absolutely critical that we have these these periods of, of dryness or that we have these times when we're saying, I, I don't know where the Lord is. He doesn't seem to be around. I'm, I'm not getting any words from the Lord. I'm not getting anything from the Lord. Those in, in my life seems to be just one struggle after the next. Well, you know, okay, you can have an attack from the enemy and you need to take authority over that. But also, God may be working in your life so that he's working out, he's kind of purging you, burning you, if you will, of some stuff that you just need to get rid of. And uh, the only way that we sometimes realize that is if we go through these hard times and we're saying we finally come to the end of ourselves and then we allow God then to work through us. And then, you know, when we when we do that, it's like, Oh, gee, all the trials are gone. What happened here? And then, you know, we have opportunities to uh, to share the gospel, for example, with other people, or the door seems to be opening in, in other areas of our lives. So, uh, yeah, being able to, <laughs> to be crushed and to go through trials and tribulations is absolutely critical. Well, even if you don't go through something, it's really hard to have compassion or share with somebody else that's going through something you know nothing about. Oh, for sure. So, <laughs> yeah, so, all right. Well, I, Julie, is there anything that you would like to ask? I just thought it was kind of interesting. I was sitting here thinking that growing up in the Napa Valley, uh, I 
I have an understanding about an ideal climate, uh, what they're looking for. And I know that you started this winery or this vineyard in the biggest drought that we had had in how many years? Oh, a hundred years. It was a hundred year drought. <laughs> yeah, so I was sitting there, I was kind of smiling while you were talking about it because I was sitting there thinking, going, well, talk about a uh, leap of faith and um, believe in God because we weren't having any rain. No, we didn't. We didn't have any rain, and and we water we water our uh, our vines when they need water. Of course, we didn't need it this year, but uh, in in years past, out of our pond. Well, in uh, in 2011, that pond completely dried up, and uh, there was nothing. There was not a drop of water in it, and we're planting a vineyard, which takes a lot of water. And uh, so, yeah, it was it was a uh, it was big, you know. For me, it wasn't really a big leap of faith because I I knew that God told told us to do this and that we were supposed to do it. Um, we're still trying to figure out why He wants us. He wanted us to do it, <laughs> but but uh, it was uh, it was definitely anybody in their right business mind would say, "You folks are crazy." Absolutely crazy to be doing this, you know, when you don't even have any water to <laughs> to water these lines. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, the Lord works in in uh, wonderful ways because th- that year, of course, ended the drought. It was a multi-year process, and by 2011, of course, it peaked, and the rain started coming. It, it, it was like we planted, we got our vines in, and the rain came. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that wow. the Lord waited until Boring. our vines were in the ground, but it was, and then the pond filled up, and it's never been it's never been low again, much less dry, you know, since that point. <laughs> Maybe that was just part of your pruning, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, Don, I guess you know. On that note, we will end, but. Uh, would you tell them a little about your, you know, how to get a hold of you, your website, uh, you know, any information you want to give them, and then we'll also post that on the different sites. But sure. Well, our, uh, our web our web address is baladellapace.com. Now, let me spell it for you because uh, unless you're Italian, you probably don't know how to spell it. So it's V A L L E. D E L L A P A C E. So V A L L E D E L L A P A C E dot com. And oh, by the way, Valle della Pace means Valley of the Peace. So we live in Gar- Garden Valley, and uh, I had the peace of God come over me <laughs> when, when we made this decision. So that's where the name comes from. Uh, so if you don't remember anything else, you can remember Valley of the Peace and then put that in your, your Google translator uh, for Italian, and then, then you'll come up with our name, Valle della Pace. So that's our website. Our uh, Facebook page is also uh, Valle della Pace. If you just put in Valle della Pace, you'll, you'll uh, get our Facebook page as well. So uh, that's uh, we have a description of... Uh, 
of our operation on our website. Uh, there is a, uh, a page, uh, uh, of course, a shopping cart where you could go to if you want to order the wines on, on our website. Or stop by the winery, and, and uh, uh, from uh, Wednesday through Saturday, we're open from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. So you can you can stop by the winery, and uh, of course uh, do it. We'll love to do a tasting with you, and uh, you know if you enjoy our wines, maybe take home a bottle or two. So um, yeah, we like I said, we also have our wines in a retail store in uh, in. Uh, Lindale as well as uh, Athens, Athens, Texas. Oh, fantastic. All right, well, I guess I'll say that's a wrap. If you'll hang on a second, we'll sure. talk after. And uh, that's it. <laughs>